Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. Our theme music is provided by Mazin. You can find her website at mazinmusic.com. That's M-A-E-S-Y-N. Hello, hello out there. Hello, hello. I'm so happy to be speaking with director, cinematographer, editor Alex Pritz. We're speaking about his documentary, The Territory. The Territory is screening at the Province Sound Film Festival, and folks can go to provincesoundfilm.org for the screening on Friday at 2 p.m. at Water's Edge. I'm really happy to be speaking with you about this really important story. It affects us all. It's related to climate change and carbon releases and the rainforest. This is a story of an indigenous group in Brazil fighting the government led by Jair Bolsonaro and farmers who are burning down and claiming formerly protected lands. So can you share how you first became involved in this story of the Uruawawa. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And thank you so much for for having us here and and giving us this platform to talk about this. It's, you know, really important, as you said. And I got involved in this story through Nadinia, who's a protagonist of the film, an environmental activist, whose work I had studied, read about, listened to for a long time and really admired. She's sort of this godmother of environmental protection and an advocate for indigenous rights. And looking at the elections in Brazil and the way that they were headed, understood that her work was going to become much more difficult really quickly if Bolsonaro was elected. Brazil has uh, like this runoff election system. So you can tell based on polling, you know, who's who's really in the lead quite early. Uh, And so began a conversation with her about her work and flew down to meet her on a one-way ticket, met Gabriel Ushida, a Brazilian producer who was really the heart and soul of the film in many ways. And through Nadinha, you know, after Bolsonaro took office, her job is really filling the vacuum left by a government that isn't really interested in continuing to protect the rainforest. And so just 10 days after Bolsonaro was elected, there was a major invasion on one of these indigenous territories. And Nadinha raced down there to try to help, you know, sound the alarm. And that was the the Uruwau territory. And so I was with her and met the Uruwa community in this moment of real crisis. But then after pulling back and, and looking at the footage and talking with Nadinia more, understood just how important the Uruwa were to this region and you know, to the Amazon as a whole. They are a community of 183 people that defends nearly 18,000 square kilometers of rainforest, a huge, huge area. And so, you know, their ability to protect their homeland, their ability to protect this this ecosystem is what's defending all of us, really, as you said, against the worst effects of climate change and catastrophic temperature rise. So I was really drawn to their story and, and you know, their struggle to protect this land. Obviously, as a, a white American man, there, there were a lot of conversations that needed to happen about how this story was going to be told and, and the way that we were going to embark on this documentary together and that's another another part of the conversation. But um, yeah, it, it began there. Nadinia and the whole community are very captivating. And it's just really striking that you gave them the space, I think, in your storytelling style. Like it, it was completely non-intrusive. You know, you were we were just there with them. 
the Arua Wawao people and all the Amazonian groups have collectively faced mining, logging, clear-cutting of the rainforest, farmers burning their land, rubber tapping, enslavement by Maoist militias, and generation after generation, the destruction of their homeland and the lungs of the earth. And yet, they're just so full of heart and so grounded in calm it's so beautifully filmed and you know you have a we feel very immersed i think in in the story and it's it's inspiring you trained in battlefield medical care and hostile environments and security in somalia so i'm assuming that this you know training has been an important part of your work and i would love for you to talk about yeah about the experience yeah i had lived uh, in east africa for a while and the you know, sort of more hostile environments training I, I took part in was uh, around a series of workshops that I helped lead for human rights uh, lawyers and, and activists about using video as evidence, you know, how they could take their really important work, advocacy work, and incorporate video and film into it in, in creative ways, but really serving an evidentiary purpose. And so, you know, a lot of my work prior to, to working on this feature film was about how people can use film in their everyday lives and, and participatory video and, and filmmaking. And so a lot of that background of mine led into this film and, and making sure everybody felt empowered to pick up a camera themselves and not just remain, you know, subjects in the kind of classical sense. And so that was a really key part in helping build a, a relationship between myself as an outsider and this community whose story had been stereotyped and, and perverted and in so many different ways historically. And so we felt like that was a really important part of making sure everybody felt ownership over the story um, and, and not just felt it, but, but had it. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that, that work certainly informed the way that we approached the film. And I think, you know, our basic premise with each of the different protagonists in the film, whether they were environmental defenders or environmental antagonists, you know, people that were cutting down the rainforest, were that in the film, everybody would get the chance to speak for themselves, that we'd have no narrator, we'd have no, you know, authoritative voice coming in, no arbiter of truth. And I think for me, at least in filmmaking, giving that space to people to speak their truth, whatever it is, is, you know, a really important part of building a, a story that feels realistic, especially when you're dealing with complex issues that don't have clear answers. You know, there, there are paths forwards that are better and worse, for sure. Um, but understanding the, the problem that we're facing and all of its complexity feels like the, the best place to start if we're building a, a real solution that's going to be sustainable into the future. Having these farmer invaders tell their story gives so much insight into their motivation. And I found myself having some empathy for them. To understand like so many of our ancestors were part of colonial groups who, who went out, you know, as, as white people, as people of European ancestry. So, so many cultures worldwide, you know, have been affected by colonialism. It's really interesting to be able to sit with the emotional story of these really, I mean, it's, it, I, I felt a lot of curiosity and a lot of interest in these people who I, I didn't want, I didn't want to demonize them. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's the subtlety of your filmmaking for sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, you were the cinematographer for another National Geographic documentary, The First Wave, and then also When Lambs Became Lions, among other films. So I was wondering what your thoughts on cinematographers are, especially with your background in environmentalism, environmental science, and also philosophy. Can you talk about how that background affected your storytelling? Yeah, I, I love making images, the act of, of filming and, and being there physically with people on the ground. I, I really enjoy um, and so didn't didn't want to lose that as a director on, on this film. I mean, one of the things we thought a lot about was how to differentiate in terms of the visual language of the film, the different sides of the story, because we are moving between uh, you know, dramatically different ideologies. When we go from the forest and we're with the Uruguay indigenous community, and we then we move to the farm and the frontier with these settlers and, and colonizers, how to reflect that ideological change in a visual sense. And so one of the things we did was try to film more in a, a handheld sort of fluid organic style with the Uruguay often closer and at, at wider focal lengths. And then uh, you know, tighter shots, more uh, servo zooms, things like that, that add a bit of a mechanical industrial feel to the footage when we're with the farmers. But yeah, I, I love cinematography. I think it's, you know, a really beautiful part of, of the filmmaking process. And then, you know, for me, one of the great joys of this film was sharing that cinematography with the community. So my co-cinematographer on the film was Tangai Uruguay, who is a local school teacher in the Uruguay community and, and took a real interest in in filmmaking and you know the visual arts and when covid hit we were not allowed to enter their indigenous territory anymore they took you know the community took the very brave decision of saying no more foreigners are allowed in our land and of course we we respected that and spoke with the community about how we would be able to continue production without physically being there it was a new thing you know do we have to stop do we have to edit the film with the footage that we have now is there a way to proceed and the really clear answer we got from them was no, you know, hell no, we're not stopping film where you just send us better audio equipment, send us cameras and we'll figure out how to manage it from here. And so that developed into what's now a really beautiful uh, co-production between, you know, the outside film team, which is Danish and American, European, and this community within Brazil. And so that's, that's one of the things I'm most proud of with the film, I think. Very, very cool. It makes you feel really good when, you know, they, they get this technology to use, you know, without saying too much, like, you know, using drones and being able to patrol their environment. You know, the part of me that's like, they need to live purely is just like, oh, you know, like, like, go, go, go. <laughs> like this. Is, so it's a very empowering story, I think, as well. Yeah, thanks. I mean, what would you uh, like to see happen with your film? Yeah, I think it's important. You know, for people like myself as an American and the rest of the audience in, in Provincetown, I imagine, to not think of this as a faraway issue in some foreign land. You know, this the story of colonialism, the story of manifest destiny, these are the animating principles of our own country. Um, when you see people in the film, when you're horrified to see people burning the forest and desecrating this indigenous territory, we should also think of you know, the ongoing case between the Lakota Nation and the United States and the desecration of the Black Hills, a sacred site for that community with Mount Rushmore. You know, there, there are so many symbols of this country, uh, you know, visually, ideologically, that are, are such an affront to these indigenous communities that continue to exist here and, and defend the land in our own country. So I think it's important for, for people to be able to make that connection when they see the film. And for us, the you know, the impact of the film is a huge 
thing. It's an election year in Brazil this year. Um, Bolsonaro is up for re-election on October 2nd. So Brazil has a, a real opportunity to change course. And so we're focused on empowering indigenous voices, making sure that the Uruwau and other communities have the tools they need to be able to you know, speak for themselves, create their own films, self-advocate on the global stage. We're also focused on a couple of legislative issues, a, a bill that could ban the importation of deforestation-related products in both the U.S. and the European Union. Um, so we've got really big hopes. The film's going to be available in theaters uh, across the U.S. August 19th, and then on Disney Plus later this fall. So, you know, like tell everybody you can think of, send it to your families, and hopefully, you know, if enough people see it, we'll be able to, to make some change. So you're the co-owner of Documist, uh, production company, Italian agency, a creative studio. So this is part of the work that you're continuing to do. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm lucky enough to work with some of my my best childhood friends um, who I run the company with, and uh, we've all been really focused on films about the the natural environment, our relationship with with land, and so we've got a couple films, and yeah, it's not over yet. So folks can see it Friday at the Province Sound Film Festival at two p.m. So hey, check it out. And uh, look for it in August if you can't make it to the festival. Thank you so much for joining us today. So thank you so much, filmmaker Todd Flaherty, for yes. being with us today talking about your new film, which is Chrissy Judy. It's about you and uh, your play and a drag queen and your bestie mm -hmm. and your complicated friendship and yes. your friend circle and finding your identity. And it's playing at the Province Sound Film Festival mm -hmm. coming up this week. We have films from starting i believe on there's at least one thing on wednesday night yes and um yeah at sundown you know then the festival yes. uh -huh. when we can let our hair down and <laughs> yes, start celebrating cinema magic begins and it goes uh -huh. all through sunday so yes i think the cinematography is really beautiful it's very thank naturalistic. you and you play judy and Chrissy. i play judy mm -hmm. wyatt, chrissy is uh, the best friend wyatt fenner, mm -hmm. fenner. and uh you're both fantastic thank and you charming Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, the film will be premiering. It's making its world premiere at the Provincetown Film Festival, which is exciting for us because I live here in town. I moved here in 2020 and we shot um, a large chunk of the show of the film here in Provincetown. So it feels really special that we get to be making our world premiere here. Um, and then we will be moving on to a couple other festivals this season, which is very exciting. Um, yeah, and the film follows um, my character. I wrote and directed the piece, and I'm also in it. Um, my character's name is Judy, and it follows my journey um, after I discover that my best friend, Chrissy, who is like my drag sister and best friend, has decided to quit the biz and uh, move on to bigger and better things, love, relationships. And um, yeah, it's uh, the film is really like, I guess you could say it's a later in life self-discovery film um, about this character, Judy, figuring out who he is without his best friend by his side. You know, I mean, I think a lot of friendships can have some air of codependency and he's very emotionally mm -hmm. independent. Oh, yes. And negotiating his re relationship, you know, when this man comes into, you know, his besties, mm -hmm. like, it's interesting in terms of like gay culture and like the expectations of like the heteronormative culture and yeah. like, what is like basic to human beings who are coupling up and what is 
social convention? And is there a level of conformity that comes with like being accepted? Or is it just natural to want a partner and and to couple off? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I loved exploring in this film. And it's something that I was sort of struggling with while I was writing it is um, this idea of like community versus versus partnership. And um, I think at the core, my character, Judy, just does not want to be alone, but doesn't necessarily know how to just be partnered with one person. And so there is this sort of codependent friendship that that is between Ju- uh, Chrissy and Judy. And um, and it's interesting to see Judy struggle against that because he wants to be happy for his friend who has found this great love, but it also is at the cost of his own feelings of self-worth and feelings of community and love. And he's really at odds with wanting to be supportive of his friend and wanting to find or carve out some sort of new pathway to community and friendship and love that isn't centered around monogamous partnership. Yeah. So we kind of like, you know, it's a a huge iceberg and we're just like at the very tip of it in our exploration of monogamy and and that type of partnership. But um, yeah, we were so lucky to have Wyatt Fenner come on. He's a brilliant actor from New York and yeah, he just plays this part so beautifully with such like brilliant humor and sensitivity. And um, yeah, I thought we were a great match with our, you know, back and forth. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of, a lot of subtlety in your performance and, you know, I'm, although there's also flamboyant and ostentatious <laughs> moments. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I would love to uh, hear what your perspective is in terms of like film and the LGBT community and like what you would like to ultimately, what's your mission in terms of yeah. Yeah, what's your mission? And also like educating straight audiences, straight identifying audiences, what would you like to to see happen? So um, the main reason why I started writing, this is my third project. It's my first feature film. I had a web series out in 2017. And then um, I had a short film that actually was also in the P-Town Film Festival last year. So my mission as a filmmaker and a writer is to tell untold queer stories. Um, I think that what we are lucky to have had over um, a couple decades of work is this idea of, you know, we have three major stories as queer people. We have coming out stories. We have stories of kind of unrequited or forbidden love. And then we have stories of, you know, our pandemic, the AIDS crisis, or um, something similar to that. And so I really hope to, in my work, um, dive further into the queer community and our place in society in general. Um, And so I guess I don't necessarily hope that the straight community learns something per se. Um, I just would love to give an opportunity for people to get a peek into a world that they may not know. And um, yeah, have them ask some questions and say, oh, I never thought of it like that. What What is it like for two men to be in a relationship together? And how does that coupling work? And um, what are stereotypes that they fight against? What are stereotypes that they're trying to fight for? Um, and uh, yeah, also, you know, it's it's a little... <laughs> It's a little difficult making queer art for queer people. So that is another mission of mine is to, um, you know, we're really lucky the P-Town Film Festival isn't necessarily queer, but we're lucky that this is a very queer friendly community, obviously. Um, So I don't 
I think that we're one of maybe like a small handful of films that identify as LGBT, which is great because it opens up our audience tenfold. Um, and yeah, we get to have these conversations that I find aren't just confined to the queer community. I, I've shown this film to quite a number of people at this point, and the general reaction, gay, straight, or otherwise, is I had a friendship like this. I had a deep, meaningful connection with a person that wasn't romantic, that was the platonic relationship that fizzled or fell apart in some way because romance from an outside party came between us. And I've had these conversations with someone and I've had this type of heartbreak that we don't necessarily recognize um, as heartbreak. Um, so I guess that's my hope is just that um, anyone can sit down and see themselves in Judy or Chrissy or any one of the characters in the film. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a dark comedy. So there's a lot of humor there, but there's also a lot of heart. And um, I think that the, the main takeaway that I would love for people to walk away with is um, how they interact with their friends and how they um, treat their loved ones who aren't their romantic partners. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of complexity to our friendships and we have this term friendship and then we have this term romance and there's yeah. a lot of gray area in terms yeah. of like emotional bonding and intimacy um, and need and like human mm -hmm. need uh, for connection. And, uh, you know, I think like we, you know, our culture is not really like super hyper community focused in general. Like, mm -hmm. uh, and I just mean like the Western culture is just not like, we're not all like, let's all get together and have a potluck every night. Like, <laughs> right, you know, totally. right? So there's no communal living there. It's very like, I'm here and this is what I'm doing. This is my nuclear family. Yeah. Right. So there's like this intense emotional need to connect. And then there's like the introvert extrovert that it plays out in your story. And the alienation is like hinted at because of the black and white. Like, yeah. You know, and so it's, it's interesting. And like in the, the lumen, uh, the luminosity of the picture and like, especially, well, I, I thought it was really interesting how your character, Judy, like is um, like, like often there's like that classic film noir, mm, maybe like mm -hmm. soft kind of like focus or just like this luminescent because I think that in a certain way Judy's character feels really comfortable you know in the limelight but also expressing his femininity and so to me it seems like the drag act is part of a gender fluidity even if it's not classifiable exactly as that I mean they call each other baby girl they like nurture yeah each other. <laughs> mommy sort of way you know <laughs> like uh -huh. maternal kind of way and then this like you know then there's like a yeah so it's just really interesting can you talk about you know uh gender identity too and yeah absolutely so I think um when I was writing this I was trying to talk about um also being an artist in our community and what it means to choose the life of an artist versus choosing a more stereotypical, you know, capitalist lifestyle. Um, and I was thinking, well, what is one of the most queer art forms? It's drag. And I thought, how great would it be to show a character who feels his most authentic self under caked on makeup and lashes and a wig and expressing a part of himself that he doesn't get to every day? Um, and in terms of the cinematography, I was really lucky. Um, my brother is our cinematographer, Brendan Flaherty. He's a genius. Um, and we talked about that a lot, you know, how 
um, when we see Judy at, at his most um, alive self, there is this sort of like, you know, veil of, of mystery and wonder surrounding it with the lighting. Um, and I think that that is like, in terms of gender identity and expression, um, something that like Judy craves and is not something that he gets to have every single day. So when he does get to have it, it is this like momentous occasion to really savor it. And when his best friend says, I'm out, I can't do this anymore. Um, it's the struggle to say, that's when I feel my most authentic self. That's when I feel my most alive. And this is the person who helps me to do that. How can I continue to grasp at that? Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I feel very fortunate. Um, I lived in New York city for 15 years and now I live here in Provincetown. So gender identity and gender expression is, um, very fluid and a normal thing to see people exploring on both sides of the spectrum. Um, their masculine side, their feminine side, and even exploring what those tropes mean. Um, and I love that we got to let that spill into the film. And I hope that audiences who don't necessarily get to have that every single day can see that and feel connected to it. And um, yeah, that maybe people who have never been to Provincetown before can say, what's this place? Where is it? I, I need to go visit. So... <laughs> Very, very cool. So thank you so much, Todd. Thank you. Flaherty. Yes. Irish. Thank you, Pandora. You were telling me in Ireland that they pronounce the H, so I'm trying to... Yeah, Flaherty. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. they'll yell at you if you don't, but we Americanize it. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. Your film is playing... Thursday night, June 16th at 7 p.m. at the Art House. And then the following day, Friday, June 17th at 1.30 p.m. also at the Art House. So if you're in P-Town, please get tickets to come see it. We, we would love for as many people to come and experience this film as possible. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Pandora. <laughs> You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org.